Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. This episode is sponsored by Modern Cowboy Performance Nutrition, the brand for cowboys and cowgirls. Get and stay cowboy fit this new year with the Cowboy Whey Protein. If you want to lose weight and gain lean muscle, the Cowboy Whey can help. The Cowboy Whey is available in delicious chocolate and creamy vanilla with 24 grams of protein, 160 calories, and only 2 grams of sugar. Get yours at www.thecowboywhey.com. And that's way spelt W-H-E-Y, hence the protein. And be sure and register on the website to get 10% off your order. Get and stay Cowboy Fit this new year at www.thecowboyway.com. And also, follow us on Instagram at Modern Cowboy Performance. And I'll see you back at the ranch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Modern Cowboy Podcast. Uh, I have a guest on today. Uh, talking to us all the way from Australia. I'm really excited about this guest. I actually got introduced to, uh, to Brendan through uh, previous guests I had on the show, Nick LeGook, uh, a uh, saddle bronc rider here in, out of Livermore, California. And uh, besides rodeo, one of my other biggest and most favorite sports is uh, MMA. And, uh, you know, I started watching the – UFC back in the early days, uh, well, I say early 2000 or whatever, and and uh, with my boys, and and we just we just love it. Um, um, I even tried to train uh, at like age 40 something in a little bit of you know mixed martial arts, and I all I can remember is it, it being on the mats, it ripped the skin off the bottom of my toes, um, got thrown down, couldn't breathe, and figured it uh, probably wasn't for me. But I sure love watching it, <laughs> and. Uh, um, <laughs> You know, it's just a super cool sport, and and to see the development of that sport and in, in 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 where it's come is just it's just awesome. So, and and that's kind of uh, you know one of the things with rodeo, we're looking to you know they've done it with the PBR really, and and we just want to see the the PRCA do the same thing, uh, grow the the fan base, and and you know allow other more people to understand it and enjoy it, and and see what it's all about, and realize that you know, these rodeo athletes are athletes as well. So anyway, without any further ado, I, I want to welcome uh, Brendan O'Reilly uh, to the uh, Modern Cowboy Podcast. Brendan, uh, good morning in Australia, and it's afternoon over here. Oh, well, good afternoon, Dan. Um, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to have a chat with you today. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. You know, and when I talk to Nick, Nick's a super cool guy, and and he's and, and he knows that you know that I like you know martial arts and stuff too, and 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 he knows what what you know my purpose behind the podcast is, and he goes, I I know somebody you should really get on and be really cool to talk to, and I've I've seen you fight, and and um you know so I knew who you were, but I didn't know you, so uh, I'm just really you know thankful you agreed to come on and and uh, just you know share your story with us and and um, talk about cowboy stuff and uh and mma stuff so um if, if yeah, you would, well, that's, uh, two of my two of my favorite things so it'll be good to have a chat about them very cool um and, and the one thing i have to say too is i is just i remember you know one of the first times i i saw you uh you know at a weigh-in and you had your hat on you know and 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 that just 
that just wins me over right there. So that, that was very cool. But just to tell us, you know, if, if you would, you know, brief history on, you know, how you got involved, uh, you know, with horses and in, in those kind of things. And then, you know, lead us right up into MMA, um, you know, your career and, and just kind of go from there. Okay. So, um, yeah, basically growing up, I was a really sort of outdoors and active, active kid. When I was really young, I didn't play that much sport. I was just always outside and climbing trees and digging holes and playing in the mud and that sort of thing. Um, and my pop, my grandfather, he was a racehorse trainer. He trained thoroughbred racehorses. Mm-hmm. So he, growing up, I sort of idolized him and he was, I was just always hanging around with him and learning stuff off him. And, and um, that was, I guess, my introduction to, to horses and, and sort of training horses. Um, so I learned, I learned stuff off him and all throughout my teens, I would, um, would, ride horses and have my own horse through that um and um all but my main sort of focus throughout my teen years i started playing football and i was really heavily involved in football and enjoyed that um and then started um uh rodeoing in high school so i I did like high school rodeo and um like the college rodeo here which um you know it's not as the scene here is definitely not as big as that as you guys would have in the states so um, basically you end up just going to regular, you know, like rodeos as well. So I was doing that, um, throughout my sort of later teens and, um, and then went to, from high school, went to university, um, and was doing my degree, uh, or finished, got my degree out there. But while I was at uni, um, what I'd do was sort of after, after I finished classes, I'd go in the area. I was living in sort of like a rural area mm-hmm. and I'd ride in green horses for people. So if they had a horse that had been broken in but needed some more miles, I'd go and ride those horses. And um, I really enjoyed doing that. And I wasn't sure exactly what path I was going to go, but I knew I knew I wanted it to be something in the horsemanship sort of game. Mm-hmm. And um, and then around that time, the, um, the horse flu hit Australia pretty bad. So like equine influenza. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of a lockdown, and you couldn't you couldn't go from property to property, which I used to do. Um, like I would go to one person's place and ride a horse, and then drive to the next place to do the same. And um, I couldn't do that, so I was sitting around, sort of like twiddling my thumbs a bit, a bit bored. And um, I had been boxing for a couple of years at that stage too, and had some amateur boxing fights. Mm-hmm. And um, and then just by chance, someone showed me a, a George Saint Pierre video. Um, and I had no idea what MMA was or anything, but I watched this. It was a highlight reel of George Santier during his early, you know, before, I think he wasn't even world champion by that stage. Yeah. And um, and I saw it and thought, oh, I'll give this a crack. And um, and I just had that attitude, like that the cowboy attitude of just getting in and having a go. And I had the boxing experience, and I was pretty physical from playing a lot of football. And um, and. I got offered a fight on a really small local show and took the fight and won um, in a minute. And then things just snowballed from there. And I got offered another fight and just kept kept rolling with that. And um, and yeah, I blinked and and then I was in the UFC. So so how old were you, um, Brennan, when you had your your first fight? How old were you then? Um, my first pro fight, I think I was 20 years old. Um, my first, I had an amateur boxing fight, my first amateur boxing fight at 17 years old, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, my first pro MMA fight at 20 years old. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And then, so, 
I know that you were also on the uh, Ultimate Fighter uh, uh, Australia versus Canada, uh, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And and, and how, how how did you get into that? Were you was it because of your ranking? Um, yeah. So basically, there was a bunch of people, uh, like a whole lot of people in Australia, got invited for the tryouts, and then from there they went. I think it was initially about. 300 uh-huh. and then from there it went down to about 100 and then to 50 and then to 30 and then down to they picked I think eight um, for the team so yeah it was um, basically because of your record um, and then we had to go in and do like physical testing um, and then had a bunch of interviews um, so they sort of um, they basically look at you as like whether you're going to be an asset, I guess, to the company or not. So it's not just purely, it is based on record, but that's not the only thing. So um, that's probably like a good bit of advice for any young guys trying to make it to that level as well is you've got to sort of look at yourself as an entire package to the company. Right. Um, and yeah, so it's not just purely if you've got a really good record, but um, you could be, say, a liability to the company because of your behaviour, you know, outside of the sport or that sort of thing. They're, they're probably There's enough guys, especially these days with how popular the sport is, there's enough guys that the UFC will just kind of, like, stay away from people like that. So, um, yeah, they just looked at everyone as basically a total, what they could bring to the company if they got through and, and got a contract. Yeah. And so then after you did the show, is that when you, when you ended up uh, getting a contract with the UFC or...? Yep. Yep. So I did the show. Um, I had a, like a blast in there. I learned heaps and it definitely um, took my skills up to another level. Just basically being around the quality of like every single training partner you had there was well, was world-class really. Um, plus, you know, like our coaches had just had a, a ton of experience. So I went from being, you know, a guy with a lot of, a lot of dedication, but on a on a fighting on a domestic level i'd had one international fight before i got into that show though um and um and then basically just being around so much knowledge and so much experience and so much pressure Mm -hmm. and i really i just loved it i really thrived and um and i think because i also had the sort of like the background of just traveling and training everywhere and not really being fixed in one location it, it sort of helped me on the show um some guys understandably they had families at home and you know they'd left their wife and kids and you know they miss them and that all sort of plays in that's obviously what part of the show is about is seeing how people cope under that pressure whereas um i was used to sort of the the traveling gypsy lifestyle and um so i was able to really really like absorb everything in that when i was in the ultimate fighter house and, and really thrive and come out a lot better than what i went in so it was good yeah, that's 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 quite quite a test in and of itself. You see that with a lot of the guys, like you said, they got their families or whatever, and and uh, that isolation. And, and you guys don't have cell phones, right, or TV or anything? Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, no cell phones, no TV, no radio. Um, I mean, it's just yeah, it, we didn't. I didn't hadn't really thought of it until we were in there, and um, you don't you kind of forget how much even just a little bit of background noise is in everyday life with just a radio on or a TV on, or you can call someone or Google something. And, right. um, it really, it really took us back to sort of primitive, pretty primitive primal ways being in there without any of that stuff. Yeah. That's great. Now, now where, where was, where was that one filmed at? Was that in Australia or was it in Canada? No, it was in Canada. It was in like the mountains in, um, 
in Quebec. Um, so like, oh, I think it was about two hours out of um, Montreal. Mm-hmm. And um, it was during the winter. Um, so it was pretty rough for Team Australia. We got to do a wake up call being in a Canadian winter. So that was really, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was just a blast. Like obviously a lot of people don't even get to experience things like that. And, and we got to live there and, and be in it every day. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Very cool. So now, um, how many fights have you, have you had in the UFC? Uh, four in the UFC. Okay. And are you, are you still contracted with them or are you fighting outside of the UFC or? No, I'm not contracted to the UFC anymore. And I, I've taken a bit of time off fighting. Um, mm-hmm. like I initially, I initially took a break just to sort of reset. Like when I got to the end of that contract that mm-hmm. I was on, um, my body, I was a bit like sort of broken and injured like we all are. I mean, I, I, it, that's where it's really similar to rodeo cowboys in that you're never going in a hundred percent into any any fight. So um, I just took a little bit of time, well, what was a little bit of time um, to let my body heal and and more so than the body because um, you can kind of just push through that. But I just like mentally needed a bit of a break to get that fire back. Um, sure. It had definitely gone from one of those things that you know. I used to do for the love of it and it ended up sort of being a job and I'd lost that passion. So took a bit of a time, uh, took a bit of time off the fight game actually competing. So I still trained every day mm-hmm. and um, went back to just working horses and, and um, being around my mentors like in the horsemanship game. And um, funnily enough, that actually had really helped with my martial arts. Um, there's, there's just so many things that are really similar um, at the elite level that are really similar to crossover. So without, you know, my training, I didn't push myself harder in my training, but my skills definitely improved and more so my tactics and that sort of thing. So um, I did that and, um, yeah, now I'm just sort of starting to get a bit of that spark back and think about maybe maybe coming back and fighting again. But I'm still, you know, there's a lot of opportunities just sort of, um, opening up in the horsemanship game for me. So I'm sort of really at a crossroads where I've got to decide one way or the other when there's two things that really fulfill me and, um, you know, I enjoy doing. So it's a, it's a good position to be in, but definitely got to make some decisions. Yeah. Now, um, who, who are some of your mentors in, in the horsemanship game? Um, two of my biggest, biggest ones are two guys sort of out of Australia here. Mm-hmm. Um, one is Paulie Daniel. Um, he, he operates down in South Australia. Um, he's a full-time like cult starter and horse trainer. Mm-hmm. And the other is um, Scott Keogh, who's he's up here in Queensland um, near me. And both those guys, you know, they, they have their own own style and, um, and their own feel to what they do and their own techniques. But, you know, they're both highly effective. And, and at, you know, at that, level of how they operate you know i consider them them very elite they're both very humble and wouldn't say that about themselves but you know they they are very very good and um and yeah they just do some amazing work so i'm lucky enough to have those two guys that i go and work with often and learn from and um and like i said it just makes me better at not just my horsemanship but you know my martial arts get better and everyday sort of life things get better so yeah both those guys um, like I can't say enough good things about him. Um, you know, Paulie is 
has been a really big influence in me in overall with my horsemanship, with just um, like my attitude towards it. So um, obviously learning initially off my, my grandfather, like it was some very old school stuff that I learned and um, which is great. It's great, you know, um, and I would, you, you can't sort of rewrite really the book, you know, like the good stuff has always been there. Right. Um, but what, but what, poorly sort of bought into my horsemanship that maybe wasn't there initially was a lot of I naturally had sort of empathy but I thought that it must have been wrong because mm-hmm. I'd been just around so many like really tough horsemen um, right. really like tough old school horsemen and um, and and sort of through working with Paulie I learned that you know you can be really effective and, and, a, and a tough you know stockman and horseman but also really empathetic towards what that horse needs in the, in that stage of its journey. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so, you know, like I said, I can't say enough good things about, about what I learned off him. And then, and then through Scott, you know, Scott's very similar. Obviously all elite horsemen, I think have that right balance of, of empathy and feel and when they got to, you know, use those things. But, um, Scott was actually like an elite bronc rider himself. And funnily enough, he, when I was young, when I was 15, 16, he taught me saddle bronc riding at his clinics when I was just like a young buck. Mm-hmm. And now um, I'm back, you know, around his, his house most weeks learning off him the other end of the scale, you know, um, how, to, how to create um, performance horses and, and start colts, you know, really well. So, um, and, and what's great with Scott is he's got, a lot of his stuff online. So if I'm, if I'm away like remote, I can check in and do some lessons of his online. So, um, yeah, I just am so, so blessed to have those two guys, um, like who I consider probably two of Australia's top horsemen as like mentors to me who I can call anytime and get some tips off. So yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I'm no, and I've said this before, I'm, I'm no super horseman by any means. Uh, um, but you know, it, you just learn. I've learned just as I've got older, because like like you, I you know, I learned old school stuff when I was younger, and uh, and there's just different and better ways, you know, to 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 get horses to to, to perform and do what we want them to do, and and they want to please us, you know, which is which is so cool, and I think that's the thing that that uh, you know gets me about it even more is it just the, the kind of the less is more uh, type of approach, and uh, you just get along with the animal so much better and it's just, and, and they're going to want to work for you so much better. And, 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 and when I was younger too, you know, you, you, it's kind of like when you're young, you know, and you, you want to be bowed up just because you're insecure or, you know, have fear. And, you know, in, until you're approaching that horse with fear and the horse is going to have fear, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's like, you know, I'm sure anyone who's worked extensively with horses understands how much they can feel your energy. But, um, I think, you know, a lot of people still, you still see some people working with them every day who don't understand just how much their attitude is influencing, you know, the horse. So if you go in, um, I mean, I guess it's like kids or like dogs as well. If you go in treating them like they're bad, that's yeah. probably all they're going to be. Um, so yeah, um, it's, it's, yeah, it is really great. Like how far the the game has come like there's always been those guys in it but it's really a lot more widely accepted now but yeah. also at the, at the other end of the scale too for me i think one thing that i'm re- i'm happy with the background i came from is there was that that base of 
like knowing if you have to get something done now, how right. to get it done right now, right. Um, which I get. I, I also think, you know, like anything, there's two ends to the scale, like the pendulum sort of swings. Yeah. And obviously, ideally, you want to be somewhere in the middle. And um, I think sometimes people, and, the, and perhaps who don't have to work in a real high-pressure working environment, they, they don't necessarily learn the skills to just get something done now. Um, right. And and so I'm lucky. I sort of learned that maybe the more the more gung ho, just get on and write it way without maybe doing the, the laying a good foundation. But yeah. then I'm um, you know now through, especially through um, Paulie and through Scott, I've learned that. And both those guys are highly effective. You know they they were both bronc riders, um, and they've they've both been in real working scenarios. And now they when they train their horses, they can pick the times when they've got to push that horse to get more out of it and when they need to let it kind of work it out at its own pace. And I think to me that's like, that's really um, ultimately horsemanship is just knowing what the horse needs right now. And sometimes they actually do need a push and they need, do need to be put under that pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's all it's all sort of a balancing act and it's all an art that I'm really enjoying learning. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, very cool. Now, do you do any uh, any team roping or calf roping or breakaway roping or anything like that, or is it mostly just you know starting colts horse training? Yeah, mainly like right now, um, I'm actually working at a place out in out in Gundawindi, like just west of where I am right now, mm-hmm. and um, for for a place called Scanlon Performance Horses that breed some some pretty nice um, or some really nice quarter horses. So I'm just starting them to those guys and, um, you know, enjoying it out there. So mainly just working on um, cult starting and improving my own skills um, in that game. Um, and and um, that's kind of – I'm putting all my energy into that. Um, I did recently start team roping and really enjoy it. Um, so, you know, roping isn't like – culturally and as a working skill here in australia it's not really it's not you don't see it so we don't um rope on our on our ranches here on our stations um it's just not really a skill that we use so um for me it was you know we will grow up cracking stock whips off on the back of a horse but definitely you know the average person isn't isn't swinging a rope up there so um it's a skill that like definitely um, um I'm enjoying learning and um, I'm enjoying learning about training rope horses and what they need and that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm get, I've just recently got into team roping and I've um, started doing a bit and I've got another um, event coming up in um, about, I think it's about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be pretty good to get into. And um, yeah, I definitely 10 years ago, um, I definitely didn't see myself being a timed event guy. I was like a, a rough stock guy. <laughs> Right. To, to the bone and um but yeah i just fell into that just you know got offered an opportunity and someone loaned me a good horse and um it's been really fun that's very cool um, so now what part of australia are you in anyway and, and my geography is bad but i mean you know i know i know some of the areas and names but uh yep so so right i go between basically um Either Brisbane, which is a city in southeast Queensland, um, Kyogle, which is in northern New South Wales, so maybe two and a half to three hours below Brisbane on the near the, near the coast, so kind of near Byron Bay, mm-hmm. um, and that's working for like a, a, 
a family member of mine um, helping him on his property so that he runs beef cattle there and I help out um, help you out down there just working the cattle and I have a horse down there and I, I, I go and use her and, and um, so I go for between there and then Gundawindi so Scanlon performance horses mm-hmm. so um, I sort of have a few bases but Sort of, so I consider myself semi-nomadic, um, <laughs> like where, wherever the work's kind of needed at that time. But yeah, I'll base my, I'm basically will base myself in one spot, and then if some cattle work needs to be done, I'll drive down and help out there, and then head back. So it's good. It like keeps a good variety, and it keeps me a good amount. Um, you know, like I, I train more when I'm in in Brisbane, so like I get a pretty even mix of training, keeping my skills there, like uh, martial arts skills. And then working cattle in one place and then starting cops in another place. So I guess by default, I've just set up what I like doing and got an even mix of it. I just got to, uh, I just got to drive between them. Yeah, that's very cool. Hey, now, what, uh, what breed of, of cattle do they raise mostly in Australia? Um, there's a bit of a mix, um, like depending on what area you're in because the climate varies a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So like up north, um, they're running sort of a lot more of the tropical breeds of cattle. Like you'll see there's a lot more like Brahmin up there or Brahmin cross and they have a better tick resistance up there because you know, there's, um, you know, they've got to be a bit tick resistant. Uh-huh. Um, and then for if, as you go further south in Australia where the climate um, is a bit more like temperate, it um, you'll get more like European breeds and the British breeds or you'll see crosses of them too. So like Hereford, Hereford crosses and, and Angus and that will be further south. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so but definitely like up north. And then, you know, the stockmanship like um, varies a lot between up north where there's some really, really big cattle stations or out west as well. And then um, if you're in more of a coastal area where there's a, you might have a higher stocking rate you know, for the for a small area, mm-hmm. and the um and the uh, landscape's totally different. So where where I go um, and work cattle down in Kyogle, it's where. So my family on Dad's side, like the O'Reillys, mm-hmm. they've been down there for close to 120 years now in the same sort of area, mm-hmm. and um, it's just really hilly, um, pretty thick vegetation. Um, you know that uh, typically there's um it's there's pretty you can have a pretty decent stocking rate um there's a bit of water there but at the moment we're in a drought but um yeah so your your stockmanship down in those areas um is going to be a lot different and um obviously the horses the horses we use there are actually born and bred on the place and their um their footing like just naturally is so good they just know where to put their feet and they can just run through these you know, up the sides of hills and, and straight down the sides of hills and, and you kind of just give them their head and let them do their thing because they know where to put their feet better than we do. Right. Um, and then if you went up, you know, if you went out west or somewhere where it's like a lot more, um, you know, desert country or, you know, something like that, obviously your stockmanship skills change and even like the types of dogs the style of dogs that we'll use there um, for mustering are totally different as well. So that's one thing I'm really um, I'm really passionate about is sort of the history and um, and the development of stockmanship and horsemanship in Australia, right. in the different areas and what and why that's happened. So sort of like a side hobby of mine, just talking to old dudes about about that and learning learning that sort of thing. 
Yeah, that's very cool. Hey, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors for today's show, Dusty Diamond Leather. Crystal over at Dusty Diamond Leather makes amazing handmade, one-of-a-kind custom leather and beaded goods. Her products are basically works of art, and I know this firsthand because I just received two beautiful belts from her. I can literally say that they're the nicest belts I've, I've ever owned. You can learn more about Crystal's story and her business if you go back and listen to episode 26 of the Modern Cowboy podcast. And then, hey, head over to Dusty Diamond Leather on Instagram or Facebook and let her know that you heard about her on the Modern Cowboy podcast. Comment on one of her posts, screenshot it, and then DM it to us at the Modern Cowboy podcast on either Facebook or Instagram. Send an address that you would like us to mail one of our new Modern Cowboy stickers to, and we will ship you a sticker. So again, hey, check out Dusty Diamond Leather Instagram and Facebook, you won't be disappointed. And again, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for your support. I, I appreciate it more than you know. Enjoy the show. You know, and I, I, I of course, I gotta, I gotta bring this up. I'll, I'll always ask, you know, guests, you know, what their favorite cowboy movie is. But uh, I'm gonna ask you now: Do you have a favorite cowboy movie? <laughs> yeah, I probably got too many to answer with just one. Um, I think one the big like one that was a really big um, influence on me um, as a kid was True Grit with John Wayne. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Um, I don't know. Just I I really liked that one as a as a kid. Um, I guess that'd be that'd be probably one of my favorites. Um, and, and the reason the reason yeah. I, I kind of I kind of brought that up right there because you were talking about the history of stockmanship and that's kind of a you know a side you know, hobby that you like to study all that. And I just, I just think back to man from Snowy river, you know, and I mean, I love that movie. I, I can't tell you how many times I watched it, you know, and, and, uh, so yeah. I, um, I didn't know if that was one of your favorites, but it was, it was a super, <laughs> super cool movie, you know? Yeah, I do. I, I don't mind it. I don't know if it was like just a bit too cliche for me, maybe. <laughs> oh, really? Really? But, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, uh, like, I do enjoy it. Um, but, um, yeah, I really actually enjoy like the, the poem that that, that um, that's come from. So, so some people don't know that, that that movie or the story of the man from Snowy River came from a, a poem that was written by like an, a famous Australian bush poet um, yeah. called Banjo Patterson. Yeah, so um, that the whole story of the man from Snowy River, um, yeah, is is based on this poem and it was so banjo patterson who was a bush poet he um he saw this guy and like basically you know saw the story and then he told the story in one of his poems and mm -hmm. um and then that was that became the story and that they turned that into the movie so um yeah like i really like the, the the history of it and the the guy was a real guy and there's sort of um there's different. There's a bit of conjecture of to who he actually was, you know, because um, they do know it was based on a real guy, and 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 they sort of never really found out which particular guy that he was that Banjo Patterson wrote the poem about. But um, yeah, it's um, obviously all the guys in those that the, like the mountain country back in those days were just excellent, um, excellent horsemen, you know. And I even see it now. Um, I'm lucky enough to get to work um, with some some guys that are, you know have been around for a long time like that are up near 80 years old and mm -hmm. and we'll go mustering cattle in some pretty rough country and um you just can't believe how these guys can move on a horse and handle a horse and oh, yeah. and um 
you know the country makes them the country makes them tough and the country makes the horses tough and and it's just a like it's a real pleasure to be able to be part of part of that um so yeah that's probably why i love that story and the poem the most is because it's it's telling like a true part of australian history and what made what created our culture which is like i say this a lot to people about horsemanship in australia is um, we may not have that the same uh i guess steeped history of say western horsemanship where it came from you know the spanish and the, and then the, the vaqueros and that sort of thing right but what yeah you know because we're just a younger country and um but i think what we lacked in the formality of of developing young horses and that that hundreds and hundreds of years of history we made up for with just gameness and right. um and 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 still do so you know like um uh, that's something like I'm really proud of, and I think it's something that serves like Australian horsemen and stockmen really well. Is they are they are skilled and really knowledgeable, but they also have that attitude of like they'll just get it done um, right. with whatever they have in front of them, you know. And um, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, I, I just I, I had to bring that up because I love that movie and and I love the story in it. You know, I mean how he has to prove himself and everything else. And then you know, Kurt Douglas and Brian Dennehy were in that too. And and there was just one line I always I always think of. My brother used to say this when we were younger. You know, after we'd seen it, and I I can't remember who Brian Dennehy was talking to in the movie right now, but the guy comes in and says something about his daughter, and and he just says another time and not that long ago, and you'd be dead right now. Of course, he said it, you know, yeah. with a lot more, you know, uh, drama and, and everything than I just did. But uh, it's just it's just such a great line, I thought. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you just yeah, see Tom coming, coming, riding up to the ranch, you know, cracking his whip and just bringing all those horses in, you know, and they're just in disbelief. And it's just, you know, it's kind of like the guy that had to prove himself and does prove himself. So. Very yeah, cool. absolutely. And that's like. It it is a bit of a thing, on, on, on you know, like I, I think it's the same anywhere, especially in like cowboy sort of culture and um and that sort of thing. Like people don't really, you know, like talk's pretty cheap and and right. you kind of do have to prove yourself to a degree. So like I, I'm sure any of us who have been around the, the game a little bit have been in a position, maybe not that dramatic, but you kind of been in that position where you got to you're looking down the barrel of doing something that might be a bit like a bit scary or pushing the limits or just not having any you know the respect because i guess yeah you're only as good as like the work you can really do you can and that's that's one thing i love about that industry and i love about stockmanship and horsemanship and fighting um mm. like they're all the same in that like no one cares what you say you can do right. people only care what you can do and right. um and um you know in a world like we live in today where you know you know, there's a lot of talk and, and with social media, people can kind of say what they want and hide behind the keyboard. Um, right. I love existing in a world where all that matters is how effective. No one cares how much money you have or what background you came from or what school you went to or anything. People only care about how good you are at what you're doing right now. And right. Um, and it's really refreshing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's just really, uh, you know, the similarities, like you said, between, you know, like fighting and, in in like, you know, rodeo and, and, and cowboy stuff and working hard uh, and, and pitting yourself against, you know, like a bull rider or a bronc rider, pitting yourself against an animal and, and then in, in fighting, you're pitting yourself against, you know, another fighter, which is really, you know, one of the ultimate tests of, uh, you know, of, 
of just being a, a man or, or a woman fighting. You know, I can't believe how the women fight. I mean, it just, I, I have to just cringe because <laughs> I know they can all kick my, my ass. You know what I mean? And it's like, a, yeah. but, but it's, it's, uh, it's such a, it's such a cool deal. And you know, what's that, what's that feel like, you know, I mean, before a fight, do you get, uh, I mean, do you have like super nerves or do you, do you go through any ritual or anything or, 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 you know, are you, are you just game and ready to go? Do you think about that other opponent a lot? I mean, just kind of give us a, you know, brief, uh, brief synopsis of what that looks like. Um, yeah. So for me, like I'm lucky, I guess, like, you know, I've never got really nervous about things. Um, mm -hmm. I'm all just sort of like, I just know that like what I've got to do and just have in my head that I'm going to do it. Like, like it's, obviously everyone gets a little bit of performance sort of like nerves, like you get a few butterflies and that right. sort of thing in your stomach. But um, as far as like, there's some guys at the elite level that have full, you know, they'll be vomiting in the locker room and then they still come out and perform extremely well. So everyone's a bit different, but, um, but yeah, for me, I've never got too bad of nerves, but for me, it's mainly, I mean, the training, we put in a lot of training. So you kind of know you have that confidence going in, um, that you've put in the work and then in the locker room out the back I'm just sort of really relaxed and thinking about the fight and um, like well you know thinking about what I want to do I don't really worry too much about my opponent um, I like I really don't care what they are going to do or think they're going to do mm -hmm. um, because I have no control of that you know and that's that's um, one thing that like I've always been pretty good at remembering is like control what you can control and that's like my you know what I can do, and um, and don't worry, don't worry about the rest. You know, and I think not just in fighting, but in everyday life, like we actually have a lot less control than people think, and so people people waste energy worrying about things that, re regardless of how they feel about it, they can't control it anyway, and um, that's just using up emotional energy. So, I think I've just always been good, whether it's like with young horses or in fighting or or when I was rodeoing is just understanding like the only thing I can really control is myself and how I react to things and my attitude and my intensity and that sort of thing. And, and, um, and not worrying about, you know, what my opponent is thinking or how good they are or, um, anything like that. So, um, yeah. And then basically for me, when they call out my name and I'll, I'll cruise through the back, the back wings of like a stadium or wherever and then you hear your, your walkout music um right. for me i just can't stop smiling like it's just uh it's just it's pretty exciting to be, have the have the the pleasure and the honor of being able to fight in, so, in front of so many people doing something that i love and um yeah it's just it's actually it's really fun like fighting has always been fun to me and um i don't know it's a bit of a weird sort of thing but i guess um yeah i mean if you put any any guys at an elite level say bull riding or bronc riding, you put them on a bull or a bronc, and they'll tell you that they're having fun. And if you took pluck the average person off the street and did that, they would be terrified. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with fighting. Like for me and the other guys at that level, we it is fun, and it and like I enjoy the challenge, and I enjoy what it forces me to become. Um, you know, overcoming hurdles mentally. But um, the average person. And you couldn't hold it against them either, but the average person would would be terrified and would probably freeze under the pressure. So, yeah, yeah, and, um, and, that, and that goes back to like what you were saying before. I, I call them keyboard cowboys. You know, people can get behind their keyboard and do whatever they want, but uh, you know, and and we were talking earlier too. I, I just kind of meant to to say too that just like in fighting, 
uh, same as in rodeo. I mean, you know, you, you as you well know, I mean, you can be, you know, uh, St. Pierre or whoever at their peak and get clipped, just like you could be J.B. Mooney, you know, or Jess Lockwood or whoever and just get, you know, stuffed on a bull or, or whatever, you know, and it's so – that's yeah. that that's part of the 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 game too where like you know the average person who, who maybe not competing it but you know some guys we'd like to think we could you know oh yeah but uh and, and that's why we're drawn to the sports so much because you know there's people that got you know natural talent or people that develop the talent and the skill along with it and uh, and you know and that's why we want to watch the fights that's why we want to watch the rodeos and and it's the competition of it and uh so yeah it's it's it's, it's an awesome thing and 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 uh you know, hopefully one of these days they'll get some social media where you get some of those keyboard cowboys just running their mouth and you can actually just hit a button and, and, and give them a nice clip in the jaw or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be real good. But, um, <laughs> well, I think, you know, they, they sort of know, like there's no shortage of those guys. Absolutely. And it's funny. It's funny. I think there's definitely a high percentage. The more hardcore the sport gets, the more hardcore you get the um, the keyboard warriors. So, you yeah, know, things yeah. like MMA and, and bull riding, you definitely yeah. get a lot of people telling you what they could do. Right. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, you know, and, um, you know, like, it only ta- they only have to show it once and then everyone finds out that it's not true. So, um, yeah, it's not too bad. I've always sort of, I've always sort of half enjoyed seeing those people like this, this kind of crazy things that they come up with and the crazy <laughs> things that they say because um i find it pretty pretty humorous like i've always been in fight i don't know i was always more concerned with like um like substance sort of over style so instead of like talking or you know i just wanted to have the skill there so i i i don't think i had any actual mma like training gear until i was in the ufc and we were sponsored and given stuff Really? Um, I just would wear I would just wear board shorts from like like Kmart, which is like the equivalent of Walmart. Um <laughs> yeah. I would just wear my board shorts with like hibiscus flowers on them and people would be like, Who's this going on the first day? Um so yeah, and same like when I'm out working uh, like riding horses and stuff, I'm just wearing an old old pair of jeans. Like obviously if I go somewhere nice I try and dress up nice, but I'd rather put my energy and my money into getting good at what I want to be good at than trying to look like I know what I'm talking about and have no idea. So, um, yeah, I spent a lot, I spent my whole, most of my career wearing hibiscus board shorts and no shirt in the gym. And, um, people probably thinking it was my first day until I was actually, you know, in the UFC and I saw me on TV. That's, that's awesome. Hey, so speaking of uh, dress and wear, um, I mean, you know, I know you, you wear your hat uh, that I've seen you wear with your feather in it and stuff, uh, you know, uh, fights and weigh-ins and whatever. But um, do you have a, a favorite brand of cowboy hat? And, and, and is there, a, you know, a hat maker in, in Australia that, that you like? or? Uh, no, I don't actually. Like, I, well, back in back in the day, I initially was wearing an Akubra, which is like an Australian um, an Australian uh, style of hat or, or brand of hat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what I initially used to wear in the UFC. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't particularly have like a, fa- a favorite right now, but I do have a friend who has recently um, uh, started a business here in Australia, actually. So I'll give him a shout out. Um, his name's Luke Wicks and he runs a, a business called Cowboy Crowns. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, he's a guy who just puts in, puts in the work behind the scenes. You know, he, he custom shapes the hats and he, and he does some great work there and he keeps his customers really happy. So, I'll, uh, you know, he deserves a wrap for the hard work that he does. And, um, yeah, 
thought I'd give him a bit of a shout out too. So yeah, Luke Wicks at Cust uh, at um, Cowboy Crowns. If anyone in Australia is looking for a new hat, very cool. And and how about how about cowboy boots? You have a a brand of boots that you like, or um, not really. I mean, I'm always I'm always sort of I blast through them pretty bad because um, when I wear when I have a pair of boots, I pretty much use them for everything. They just become my like go to for everything. Um, so I think at the at the moment I'm um, I'm wearing a pair of Ariats. Oh, huh. Okay. Um, which yeah, I've I've had them like well, I've, you know, I've, I've, over the years I've had a few pairs of them. Um, yeah, I've got one pair actually of um. So there's an Australian boot company. I think they're all around the world now, but called RM Williams, and um, I've had them since um since I was I think 15 or 16, and um, those boots are still going strong. I smashed smash those those boots um they've done everything everything in my life that i've done those boots have done with me so <laughs> i probably don't i don't wear them as much now but i've done everything from like riding horses to going to like formal dinners to walking out they've literally walked out to ufc fight so they've been in the octagon um if those boots could yeah if they could tell if they could tell a story they'd have a pretty good story those boots but um they're kind of like on the shelf now just um just having a bit of a bit of a spell very cool. Very cool. So now, um, do, in, in far as, as far as, you know, fighting in the future, do, do you, do you, you know, have like an, uh, an age or a date you're thinking of, you know, not fighting anymore or is it just going to, you're going to kind of go by feel. Um, and also, also, uh, you know, outside of the UFC, I mean, cause I know that Bellator is getting really big and, and we, you know, we see these other, uh, you know, um, divisions and, and, and things that where they have fighting, uh, is there, are you looking to maybe go into any of those? Uh... Yeah. So, so age wise, um, and, and that sort of thing, I think I'll always just go off feel, um, mm. like how, how I, how my body feels and, um, where I'm at, you know, in, in life as far as obviously you've got to make some really, really big sacrifices, um, to, um, to be able to perform at that level so it's just you know like uh, weighing up okay what, what's um the risk first reward like what you know i know the sacrifice because i've done it before mm-hmm. so i just need to to weigh it up with where i'm at in life at that point but as far as like age um like i i know i've got a lot longer in me like i, I eat really well and i i've never i've never sort of not trained my entire life since i was sort of a teenager so my body's always sort of sort of cruising at a in a good holding pattern that I can I can ramp it up anytime. Right. So yeah, I still I can tell I've still got a good few years left in me. Um obviously what I do now like being around young horses all the time it, it, it in itself has like a little bit of danger and it's you know physical and some of the days are long so I you know if I to come back to fighting, I need to understand that I have to put that on the back burner and, you know, maybe make that like a bit of a hobby or just, you know, um, right. maintain what I, what I know for now and, and not push ahead as much. And, um, I'm willing to do that obviously for the right fights. Um, and yeah, to answer your other question about other promotions. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm more, um, always been about the challenge anyway. So I don't really mind the, the company that it's for. It's more about, you know the the challenge that's in front of me um right. it's pretty cliche but i definitely am like of the mindset that i'm not necessarily fight just fighting an opponent like the guy opposite me it's more 
in mar- like tr- in true martial arts, you're 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 fighting yourself and and that being able to have ultimate control of your own mind and that sort of thing. And and your opponent is the person that just gives you the resistance to test that. So, you know, there's definitely no anger there or anything. Um, it's just you know, it's just de- purely a test. But um, there's definitely, like you said, there's Bellator, um, there's uh, Japanese um, promotion Ryzen, which is doing some really cool things at the moment. Um, and I'm, I have, I fought in Japan before. I was in the UFC, and I love the, the culture, the the warrior culture there, and the respect they have for martial arts mm-hmm. um, there. So I would, I would love to like explore that option of fighting over in Japan again, perhaps in Ryzen. Um, and um, they got some good guys around my weight over there too. So yeah, if um, if the opportunity arises, like I'm definitely ready and keen to jump at it. But um, that's where I sort of at the moment I'm I'm maintaining my my training and my fitness and and really pushing ahead with what's right in front of me right now, which is like some great opportunities in the horsemanship um, industry. And but I can that you know I make sure I keep all my skills ready ready to go so that if something came up I can basically just put that on hold and and jump back and do a twelve or eight week training camp and and be back better than ever yeah yeah very cool hey so we're getting close to the end of our time here um what where where can people follow you at and and stay in touch with you and is there is there and is there any places that uh, you know you can direct people to yeah so probably the best um. The best way to keep up with my day-to-day uh, adventures is um, on my Instagram. Like I'm, I'm pretty active on that. Everything else, I'm pretty bad with technology. But um, yeah, if if they look up, it's a bit long-winded, but relentless underscore badger underscore UFC. Um, yeah, they can, or they can probably just search my name in there. And um, if they give that a follow, I'm usually up to some, some wacky things, and they can follow along on the adventure. And, um, yeah, it'd be cool. And, and like, if anyone, I, I pride myself on being really approachable. And if anyone has like questions about, um, getting involved in mixed martial arts, or if there's someone who's already in it and they want to work, you know, talk about how to, how to try and work their way up to a, an elite level, um, feel free to reach out and ask me. And I, I, you know, in what time I have, I'm, I'm definitely happy to answer any questions and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Hey, and that brings me to one other thing I was going to ask you also is how did you get the name, the relentless badger? Although, you know, I know what, how relentless badgers are, but how'd that come about? Oh yeah. So, um, I think it was around the time when I was in the ultimate fighter house. Um, like, so most guys in, in the ultimate fighter, because you can fight on basically zero notice, like a date you get told today that you're fighting tomorrow. Um, right. So everyone walks around and like closer to their weight. So I went up, um, I was fighting, um, you know, guys that frame wise looked way bigger than me. So we obviously would weigh in at the same weight. I just have to cut less weight. Um, so basically in a nutshell for the, for a welterweight, which is a division I fought, I fought at welterweight and lightweight in the UFC, but, um, for welterweight, I'm really small. Um, like, uh, like to look at me beside another welterweight, I just look like not even in the same weight division. Um, but I was never sort of outstrengthed or or anything. So um, some of the guys just say, started saying I was like a badger because um, <laughs> there's that there's a video getting around of that honey a honey badger yes. fighting a lion something yes. like that. So um, yeah, so that sort of and that 
yeah, like any good nickname, I probably didn't love it to start with, so it stuck even harder. And um, and yeah, I guess it does suit me pretty well because I am pretty. I'm, I'm always up against bigger people and definitely um, take the fight right to them. So you know, I don't. I've embraced the Badger title now. Very cool. Well, hey, Brendan, I, I really appreciate you come on, man. I, I enjoyed talking to you, and and uh, you know, I look forward to just following you and and with the horseman stuff too. And my wife and I, we definitely want to get to Australia uh, one of these years here in the not too distant future. So if I come over there, I'm, I'll have to look you up. And uh, Oh yeah, definitely look me up when you get over here. I'll, um, I'll show you around and take you some, on some good adventures. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to do it. Would love to do it. But Hey, I appreciate your time. Right. And um, you know, I'll uh, uh, put all that, uh, all the other information in the show notes too, regarding, uh, the other guys you shouted out, Polly and Scott and all that, so people can check them out as well. Oh, thank you so much. That'd be great. You bet. All right, Brendan. Well, hey, thanks again for your all time. Right. I know I know you're just getting your your day started over there, so um, uh, have a great day, and then uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Dan. You have a great evening. Hey, I want to thank all of our listeners and sponsors of the show. Without you, the show would not be possible. We so appreciate the reviews and ratings, which increases awareness in our effort to grow the fan base of the cowboy, rodeo, and Western lifestyle culture. If you are new to the show or have been a listener for a while and have just not had the opportunity to rate and review the podcast, it's really simple. Just trot your pony over to the iTunes Apple Podcast, click on the show, scroll down to rate and review, and give us a five-spur rating. The podcast is available on Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher, as well as many other platforms where you listen to podcasts. Just type Modern Cowboy Podcast into the search bar to subscribe, listen, rate, and review. And if you are interested in being a sponsor of the show to showcase your business, DM us on Instagram at Modern Cowboy Podcast or message us on our website, www.moderncowboypodcast.com. Give her hell, he never can tell. Someday I just might be. We'll turn a few steers and we'll tell a few lies. Kick back in the saddle and philosophize most of life's problems. Yeah, we're gonna solve them down at the roping pen. Yeah, we don't do it for the money You were always broke Just ask Clint what he paid a rope Now he's lost a dozen wives Half the fingers on his hands To the rope and pen And it takes a little skill And a little luck If you can talk smack If you can back it up Oh, but we're all friends no matter who wins, down at the rope and pin. Well, I ain't no player speed. But I give her hell, hey, you never can tell. Someday I just might be. We'll turn another pin of steers, tell a few more lies. Drink another beer and hypothesize most of life's problems. 
By God, we're gonna solve them Down at the roping pen We'll see y'all again Next weekend Down at the roping pen Down at the roping pen